0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Forever Saturday podcast, because it is always college football Saturday in our house. I'm Serena, better known as R on Twitter.
1: And I'm Matt, also at MattSwartz723.
0: So this is going to be a journey, folks. Um, first things first, Matt and I are recording this with COVID. So if, you're, uh, if we're throat clearing, if we're all this stuff, I don't know. We're going to see how it goes. It's
1: probably going to be bad, but... Please acknowledge our dedication.
0: Yeah, we're really dedicated to the content, okay? We've now recorded one episode from the Balkans and one episode with COVID, so I want everybody to acknowledge that we are absolutely going to go to the ends of the earth to make sure that you get maybe slightly above average college football analysis.
1: This is a very dedicated, very professional podcast.
0: The other thing is we watched the Maryland game over the weekend, perhaps. That's where we got the COVID, unclear. And it was stressful. I was stressed. Again, the people standing around me in the stadium were like turning to Matt being like, is she okay? Like, Is she going to be okay? Answer, no. The
1: answer is always, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was stressed. So I think we can talk a little bit about the Maryland game, both sides of the ball, what we saw, what we liked, what we didn't like, um, and then just go from there. So the game started perhaps in the best possible way. I mean, that had to be a record, right? Like, what's the fastest that a team has ever scored a touchdown while not being the team that received the kickoff? Because three seconds, I feel like, has to be a record. Or, like, damn close.
1: Yeah, I don't actually know how you could score one any faster. Because you can advance the
0: muff, right? Right, yeah. So, like, you have to run a play.
1: Or the other team has to, like, fumble it into their own end zone. I guess something like that is possible, maybe. Mm -hmm. But... I want to know. This might be the record.
0: I'm very curious. It feels like a record to me. I was like, all right, strong start. And then from there, it was less strong.
1: Yeah, it was kind of a weird, I guess, weird experience. Like, it was definitely stressful during. And then by the end, you know, afterward, you, you look back on it, and we, we watched the replay um, after we got home, watched on the, the DVR, the full game broadcast. And I don't know. I, I didn't feel like it was as concerning looking back on it or watching, I mean, obviously I knew we won, but basically you look at the box score and it feels like a game Michigan kind of dominated. It was funny. I went back and looked at the box score from last year's game because I thought, I I kind of remembered from watching that game feeling like Maryland was moving the ball really well, but didn't finish their drives. And it ended up being kind of a slow motion blowout. And this year, um, you know, you look at the box score and it looks almost identical to last year's in terms of total yards, especially if you take out Maryland's kind of garbage time drive in the last two minutes of uh, the game on Saturday. Um, You know, the total yardage discrepancy was similar. Michigan averaged, like, just under nine yards a pass on Saturday, did the same last year, actually had more rushing yards this year, whereas Maryland had fewer rushing yards than they did last year. But it was kind of just a bunch of, like, high leverage plays that last year basically all went Michigan's way, and turned a pretty reasonable outperformance into a blowout win. And this year was a pretty reasonable outperformance, but because almost all those high leverage plays went the other way in terms of finishing drives in the red zone, um, Moody missing a field goal, the C J Stokes fumble that killed a drive. There were just a lot of little things that ended up making it a much different feeling game. Even though the performance was pretty good, I think. Um obviously we'll dive into that more, but the uh Bill Connolly, SP Plus uh, post game win expectancy for Michigan in this game was ninety four percent, and it didn't really feel like ninety four percent for most of it. But again, when you kind of was look it 94? at the, wasn't four?
0: I thought it was ninety two. It's something in that range. It was somewhere it was in the low nineties. Yeah,
1: I think ninety four, but it might have been whatever it was. It was pretty decisive, and uh, so yeah, I guess I I don't quite know how to feel other than okay. I mean, we came out with a win against what I think is going to be probably the. Second or maybe third best offense on Michigan's schedule this year in a game that they. It just
0: depends on if Penn State is a fraud or it, not. Correct, we don't yes. know yet. We
1: don't know if Penn State actually has a running game. It kind of looks like they do, but that's TBD at this point. But it is a, a very good Maryland offense. I think we would have liked to have seen the offense be sharper. But, you know, again, take out the garbage time drive at the end and y'all gain them by about 140 yards. It was relatively decisive if you look at it in kind of a broad statistical sense. It was just the little stuff where they shot themselves in the foot a few times and made it more uncomfortable than it probably needed to be. So maybe we start there with the offense and talk about...
0: That's a good measured take. I, however, am not the queen of measured takes. <laughs> so my like hot take version is like I have the alarms to sound. I'm going to do like the flip side of your measured take all right um i thought the wide receivers well let's start here i think there are two problems with the wide receivers you and i kind of sounded the alarm on this last week and on the one hand i kind of want to be like i hate to say i told you so because like our wide receivers not looking as good as we think they are isn't exactly good for us but honestly i love saying i told you so there's absolutely nothing i love more than being right (laughs) Okay, so like, no, we said it. The two things that we highlighted last week that we thought were going to be problems after the cupcakes were, one, the pass rush doesn't get home. And two, the wide receivers haven't been particularly good at getting open. And both of those things reared their ugly heads in this game.
1: I will say on the receiver point, I kind of raised that initially last week. And after rewatching the game, seeing it live in person where we have a pretty good like almost all-22 type of view of the field, and then watching it again with the TV angles and the benefit of replays, I'm actually a little bit less concerned about the receivers themselves, but I think there were basically three things that caused some of the problems with the passing game. One was, in some situations, yes, the receivers not getting open, not doing a good job of extending plays when JJ was getting out of the pocket, not necessarily doing a good job of getting separation or finding the spots in the zone where they could sit down, that was a little bit of an issue. The second one was I think there was a lot of attempts to push the ball down the field schematically. And with Maryland, the way they were playing on defense, dropping eight consistently, seven or eight on almost every play, that was always going to be difficult. You know, A lot of long-developing stuff where there are several guys sitting 15, 20 yards off the ball, it's just going to be tough to throw into that. And the third one was i thought jj was a little bit worse on replay than i did live i thought there were a couple things that he missed in terms of throws he could have had underneath or throws where he was starting to bug out of the pocket and there was somebody that he could have gotten the ball to for a reasonable chunk and he just didn't see it or got a little bit panicked and started rolling away from it or whatever there were more things there i think than what it seemed live so it's kind of a mix of those things and um I don't want to pin it all on the receivers because I do think it's a little bit of a combination of J.J. having an off day, um, which I do want to talk a little bit more about. The receiver's not doing a great job of getting open, and I think somewhat just the, the game planning, especially in the first half, really trying to get the ball down the field and running a lot of deep, long-developing stuff that just wasn't really there with the way that Maryland was playing coverage.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that the receivers issue is all on the receivers. It I was just going to say, like, in some respects, it's okay, they're not getting open, they're not beating a guy down the field, which, like, Maryland's corners feel like corners that they should be able to beat. Yeah. But there's also a component, which I think you rightly identified, of not scheming them open either. and Or, like, running scheme that, like, you know, because, like you said, they were kind of pushing downfield. field wasn't going to work and with respect to the way that Maryland was playing defense there was a lot of underneath stuff to be had in this game it felt like it felt like they should have been running nothing but crossing routes over the middle of the field basically the entire fucking time and that's not this really was probably what a Ca Mcnamara doing.
1: game to some extent yeah with the caveat that there were at least four deep shots that were there for the taking any one of which would have made this a much more comfortable win. And J.J. was just a little bit long on every one of them. There was the one to Roman Wilson where I thought Roman Wilson was getting armbarred pretty badly the whole way down the field. And absent that, I think that throw was probably on the money and would have been a touchdown. But there were three others, uh, I think two to Roman Wilson and one to Andrew Anthony, if I'm remembering correctly, where he just put it a yard or two out of reach of the guy. Didn't quite put enough air under it. And um, he said afterward that this was the first game where his arm had really felt 100-plus percent this season. And so you probably just need to dial it back a little bit.
0: I'm just too strong. Exactly. My yeah. arm's just too strong. It's too good. Sorry. I didn't I didn't know what I was capable of. <laughs> and what a fucking flex.
1: To some extent, I mean, what we saw against Hawaii and UConn and, and just the general explosiveness in those games with the passing offense, there was a lot more margin for error. You know, if you've got a guy who's running two, three steps behind, like uh, Roman Wilson against Hawaii, that's an easy throw. You can just loft it out there and there's no concern about it getting broken up. It doesn't have to be a perfect throw. In this game, the throws needed to be a little bit more perfect and he wasn't quite on. I'm not particularly concerned about that though. I mean, we've seen him throw that ball consistently well, both in small sample sizes last year and again in the early games this year. It doesn't seem like it's really going to be an issue or we have have seen no indication outside of the Maryland game of that being an issue for JJ. So there was some stuff there that the receiver got separation or the scheme got a guy open deep and we just didn't quite hit it so again kind of a a mishmash i guess of minor issues that i don't actually feel as concerned about just given that i think we have shown an ability to adjust jj has shown an ability to hit the deep ball it doesn't seem like stuff that's going to be a lingering problem and again you hit one or two of those and it's a three score game in the final minutes we maybe cover instead of having it be a kind of you know pucker up <laughs> last couple of minutes there
0: yeah I mean I think that's right a couple of other things I guess just general observations from the offense you can't really talk about what the offense did in this game without talking about Blake Corum who was absolutely outstanding like in a game breaker way he was out of control good and he had to be because we were still missing Donovan Edwards and like we said you know Stokes they brought him in one time he had a fumble um, it was not great from the the depth at running back right now. and
1: It was very apparent that there was nobody really behind Quorum that they trusted. I mean, Stokes had the one fumble, like you said, and then they took him out. That was his only carry. And then there was a later situation, I think early in the second half, where they have a third and four, and they run uh, like an iso or an inside zone to Isaiah Gash, and he gets two yards and gets cut down. And then we punt from basically midfield. And that was another one where it felt like we were in a position where, okay, we're moving the ball, we're moving the ball, and then all of a sudden you get this kind of weird play call, and that's actually another one that I want to talk a little bit more about that was actually, I think, from watching again, an RPO where JJ should have pulled. Um, He had a couple not great decisions in that regard, but it's a walk-on getting a handoff on third and four in the third quarter of a close game because you don't trust your true freshman and you're running back one. You don't want to be pounding him 50 times every game like that's just not you can't really hold up like that so yeah we really did miss Donovan Edwards in this game I think that was apparent but uh Coram was he was really excellent I think this was pretty easily the best game of his career 30 carries for 243 yards eight runs of 20 plus yards um
0: two touchdowns
1: the two huge touchdowns both where uh was kind of short yarded situations where Michigan was running the the standard thing they do in like third or fourth and one that the wedge play where everybody blocks inside and Maryland claps down so heavily that Cora made one cut and he was gone. There was nobody on the second level or outside the tackle box at all on either of those carries. So they were pretty easy touchdowns in that regard, but having the vision and the ability to make a cut like that in short yardage, like see the opening on the outside and the confidence in yourself to know I can get there and I'm going to take it there and then the speed to finish it off he really showed off everything that he's got in this game. And uh, I think it was Brian from MGO blog uh, in one of the columns that I read after the game said he thinks that the uh, the prophecy has been fulfilled, that this is Mike Hart but fast, and that equals the best running back that he's ever seen at Michigan. And that's a pretty lofty statement. But that
0: is bold. But I, I
1: don't know that it's wrong. I mean, over the last 25 years or so, the competition really at this point is is Mike Hart I think I mean Haskins obviously was very good last year you had like Tim um, Chris Perry obviously had a couple of really good years but I don't know if anybody has the combination of things that Blake Quorum can do any of those guys you might have to go back to if it's not Mike Hart Ty Wheatley when you're talking 30 years ago like Quorum is really really good and uh, we probably don't talk about him enough given all the Quarterback discussion and figuring out what we're doing on defense with you know replacing Hutchinson and Oja. There's like other question marks on this team, and Quorum kind of gets taken for granted. But he might be the best running back in the country, right up there with like Bijan Robinson at Texas. He should be in uh, in serious consideration for like first team All America this year. I think.
0: Yeah, we're taking this opportunity to give Quorum his flowers because yes. he absolutely deserves them. Full stop. We don't win this game without him. So. Yeah we appreciate you, Blake Corum. We love you. We're giving you your flowers right now.
1: Very much so. Just to build on that, I do want to add that we say they wouldn't have won this game without Blake Corum. That's probably true. I mean, he was kind of the core of the offense, but also for all the stuff I just said about JJ, he had some some missed throws downfield. He was a little off. It kind of felt like a a little bit of a frustrating game in that regard. Like, uh, this was, you know, a, a concern or an off game, whatever you want to call it. But I mean, just looking at the, you know, the stats from this game, kind of, uh, again, trying to divorce myself from the immediate emotions in the aftermath and looking at it a little bit more uh, objectively. Good on you <laughs> for
0: being able to do that. I don't know how that works. I mean,
1: JJ finished 18 of 26, 69 percent, eight and a half yards an attempt for 220 yards, two touchdowns and no picks. Like, that's a pretty good game. That's But it felt like
0: a bad game, which is kind of wild.
1: I mean, that's a better game than than Talia Tagovailoa had. And I felt like we spent a lot of the game feeling like, God, this passing offense is just really tough to defend, and Tagavaloa's playing well. I mean, Joel Klatt was, like, having an orgasm every time he talked about Maryland's offense. Yes, yes, he was. (laughs) And then you look at the box score, and it's like, okay, actually, J.J. was was better than Tagovailoa was and had a pretty good game. And if that's going to be his off day where – you know, he's not quite hitting the deep shots and he's not giving you a lot in the run game, and he's still finishing at close to 70% for almost nine yards an attempt. This is going to be a really good offense if that's his
0: off day. Again, with the reasonable, measured take. <laughs> Much appreciated. Because I mean, I think I that is not, measured, right? I did not have that take in me after this game. I was like panicking again.
1: Well, and I think it was frustrating because we weren't finishing drives. We missed some of those big shots that could have been touchdowns and had chances to really take control of the game and didn't and because of that it was kind of stress building on stress and it just didn't feel like we were taking advantage of the things that were there there was definitely a lot more to be had so again I'm not saying that it was a particularly good game I'm just saying that it was better than it looked I will say
0: that that stat line is probably not representative of the way that that game felt for JJ just because I feel like he got A little bit lucky with the way that some of the mistakes that he made did not manifest in an impact on the box score so for example that absolutely ridiculous like you know okay he when he picked up that crazy first down after Mm -hmm. he ran a casual 70 yards around the backfield like okay, that's like that's a good on you, JJ play, but that's like a chaos JJ play that had Bo Nix energy. It was crazy.
1: Oh for sure, yeah, he's and, got some Johnny Manziel, Devin Gardner in him where he's like, I'm gonna run around and do something wild, and we're gonna see what happens, and it might be it might, <laughs> it be, might be great, it, it might, might be, be fucking terrible. terrible.
0: <laughs> and then you know there was he like did the thing again, but that time the like next time he got sacked. And fumbled, quote, close, quote. I really do think that, that wasn't was a the forward fault. That was very pass. clearly an
1: incomplete pass. And These I don't refs know.
0: were really it, bad. Yeah, it
1: was not a good officiating game. I
0: was <laughs> going absolutely nuts the entire time that we were in the stadium because of the spots. I thought they were spotting the ball in like a totally ridiculous way. Like Matt said this when we rewatched the game because I was like screaming about it in the stadium and no one else was like, they were like, this woman's crazy. But I was yelling about it. And then when we rewatched it, Matt was like, yeah, it felt like they had a policy that if you went down at the half yard line, they just spotted you at the next nearest full yard. And I was like, that's not how that works. It led
1: to some really weird situations. There were also a couple of like very obvious. The, uh, The I mean, the play we were talking about was clearly an incomplete pass. JJ's arm was moving forward. They call it a fumble. There were a couple others where
0: we lose a zillion yards on um, it. Uh, right, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean there were a couple of very blatant Maryland offensive pass interference calls, uh, an illegal man downfield. Like there was just stuff that was like right there, happening right in front of them, very visible from the stands I mean, and we had or a from a false
0: start on a play, like a very obvious false start on yes, a play. Yep. Yep, and the, the I yeah it was it was just not good. I was like these these people aren't even watching this game. <laughs> like I'm convinced these refs are literally just not watching. They're like not paying I'm not,
1: attention. I'm not even saying that it was like particularly negative toward Michigan. No, it was very very bad, very all, bad around. all around. I didn't
0: think it was one sided. I didn't think Michigan got the wor- I mean, shit, they maybe got an interception that wasn't really an interception. So like it's hard. I'm loath to complain that Michigan got the short end of that stick. I just think it was bad all it was. around. It, it wasn't like particularly bad. Like I'm not yeah. talking about a 2016 Ohio State game. <laughs> I'm talking about just bad. No, Mike like, Weber generally.
1: But yeah, you were talking about the JJ. Uh, but yeah,
0: I mean there was that right. So he that was a he he has that fumble, air quotes fumble. I don't think it was a fumble, but that sets us up in like third and 25, and that's when we kind of right run a short.
1: Yeah, we run a draw. To set up the field goal. Just
0: that Moody that Moody missed
1: badly, which was very strange. Really I bizarre. Mean, I, that's, I think, the right move there. Like, you're, in a, you're, you're down three. You're in a third and a million. Yeah, you run it to the middle of the field, and you set up a makeable field goal for your Groza award-winning automatic kicker, and then he just shanks it. Like...
0: The way that I absolutely knew it in my bones that we were going to miss that field goal. I, Matt can vouch for me. I didn't watch it go up. It's true. Because I was like, we're going to miss this. I It just, it was the, the juju was off. Like when you play for like this field goal, like it's just not going to go. And I know that that's how it works. I've watched enough football that I've learned that that's what the karma says will occur. And so I knew it wasn't going to go. I just knew it. And I was like, damn it. And then it, like when it didn't go, I heard everybody around me and I was like, I knew it. (laughs) I also knew it's objectively the right way to play it, but that doesn't mean I wasn't mad about it because I knew what the the juju was going to yield, You know, when
1: they're sitting five guys back at the goal line, like, your chances are better of getting picked off than of getting anything productive there, so, like... It was just a, an unfortunate situation. I think that's a learning experience for JJ that, it, to some extent, it's a live by the sword, die by the sword. He right? He does that fumbled, earlier in the right? drive,
0: and re- recovered by Cornelius Johnson. Correct. So, yeah, but, there was a lot of like it didn't impact his box score. The chaos in that way is what I'm saying.
1: But the like earlier in that drive, when he does that, he runs around all over, ends up you know just outrunning two guys to the sideline, getting the first down. Like, if he's not capable of doing that. That drive is over several plays earlier, right? We're never in the position where we are potentially in field goal range. But he has to learn that when you are in that position, you know, when you're on the opposite side of the 50, running around and potentially taking a thunder sack is much more problematic than it is if you're at your own 20 on third down and you take a sack and all of a sudden you're punting from the 10. Like, sure, field position matters, but it's not going to take points off the board. This one probably took points off the board. And so yeah, that's I just agree. something he has to
0: I mean that's why for the more conservative among us who were Cade McNamara stands prior to the season I will openly admit to being among them. <laughs> that's why, right? Like it it was it's that ability to like avoid the negative play, to keep you on schedule, to like not do anything crazy, to not implode in a situation like that that drew us toward Cade McNamara. Now Query whether when we saw Cade McNamara earlier this season, he still looked like that player, because he didn't really. I mean, he was taking sacks left and right. And, no, and like, he was
1: very happy feet in the pocket, just not... He, but he the never version looked comfortable. of
0: Cade McNamara we saw last year was that player, and so yeah. for those of us who were still on, on his team, if you will, that was part of the reason why.
1: I do think that, especially in the second half, we saw... I think J.J. was seeing the field well. In general, he had a couple plays that he missed that I mentioned earlier, and a couple obviously bad decisions where he ran around, held on the ball too long. You know that stuff does happen, and again, he kind of has to get that out of his system and start to figure out where he can and where he can't do that. But I did notice at least twice. I think both times were early in the second half. Maybe one was late in the first half, as we were doing that uh, that two minute drill where we did end up getting the touchdown. Maryland was very often, as I mentioned, only bringing three or four and sitting back seven or eight. But the couple times that we did see them bring a linebacker, J.J. immediately recognized it and hit, I think, Schoonmaker the first time and Cornelius Johnson the second time on a drag running right across the middle into the space the linebacker had just vacated. And I thought that was pretty impressive that they weren't blitzing much, but as soon as they did, he was identifying what was there, where the open space was, and hitting it confidently. And both of those, I think, ended up getting about 15 to 20 yards. So I think... between that and the downfield shots that he saw where he did have separation and he just didn't quite hit it, I still have come away from this game feeling I think pretty good. It's just a matter of him you know dialing it back a little bit on the deep ball, putting a little bit more air under it. And I think if he does that against Iowa and you know cuts out the one or two like disastrous, potentially disastrous plays, that's
0: potentially disastrous plays are about the only way you lose to this Iowa team. And so that's correct. what I'm like uh-oh. Yeah, he's got to be a little
1: bit cautious. Cuz that, that
0: defense is a um, that's I think the thing that really left me feeling a little uncomfortable is that I didn't think our offense looked that sharp against a not very good defense. No,
1: it wasn't sharp.
0: And the Iowa defense is very good i mean yep. I, hilariously i saw this going around on twitter yesterday um, they're first in the country in scoring defense and last in the country in scoring offense that is extremely which is Iowa. just an unbelievably funny statistic so like yeah you can't I make those a, mistakes against You Iowa. can't that like and especially okay if you don't hit a deep shot fine we'll live if you don't hit a deep shot or two in that game but like we all know what the recipe to losing to Iowa is, and it's your quarterback implodes. Yeah, that's the recipe. It's like a zillion turnovers. You throw the ball into that stupid. Or you lose cover like two. three fumbles or whatever. Yeah, and like, and that's it's it. It's
1: turnovers. That's it.
0: That's it, and so it's like that he had this kind of chaos game going right into Iowa week. I think left a lot of us feeling uneasy, myself included.
1: I do think we talked about this last year after the Rutgers game, which was really uncomfortable against a much worse team than this Maryland team. I said after that game, I kind of think we needed to have the second half that we had in that game, which was where we basically got nothing and realized that we couldn't just run it down people's throats all the time to figure out how to complement that effectively in the passing game with the outside run game. We had to learn that against Rutgers so that we could adjust against Wisconsin because going in and trying to do that against Wisconsin, if we had just obliterated Rutgers, would not have gone well. And I kind of think the same thing is true here, where we saw J.J. be a little bit shaky, not recognize where guys were in the zone, or you know, waited out too long, or you know, just miss a couple things where he's got to be a little bit sharper, put a little bit more air into the ball. A lot of little things that he can do better, and I think he might have needed to have that game against a so-so defense. To figure out for next week against Iowa, against a much better defense, what do I have? What can I do? What can I not do? And I'm hopeful that we'll see that play out. Obviously, TBD, (laughs) you know, I would have also loved to have seen JJ, you know, again, not make a single mistake as we'd seen in the first three games, but realistically, that was going to end at some point. And I'm not that upset that it ended here and we still and got a win an and some City. learning experiences. Right. No, and, and hopefully sure. that's something that can carry forward into uh, the Iowa game.
0: For sure. I mean, the best kind of game is a game where you win, but there's a lot of room for improvement. And no,
1: the best kind of game is where you just kick the shit out of somebody like Michigan State in 2019. Well, I mean,
0: yes, <laughs> as fans, for, but, from like, but from a coaching standpoint, from a developmental Development, yeah. perspective, like. This is the best case scenario for Jim Harbaugh and company. It's that you come out with a win, but you also have things that you've kind of identified as weaknesses, and you have the opportunity to remedy them.
1: Yeah, you have to have adversity in some areas at some point to ever actually grow in those areas, right? And hopefully, this was a game and that I'm glad JJ it happened can learn and now and not yeah. in Iowa City. Correct.
0: So we can talk about: Do we have more on the offense, or do you want to talk about the defense?
1: The only other thing I want to say about the offense is that the offensive line I thought was really good. I mean, we came out of this game averaging, uh, let's see, a little over six yards a carry, if you exclude sacks, um, about six and a half yards a carry. There was no pressure, which wasn't particularly surprising given the way that we talked about Maryland dropping 7-8 regularly. They also don't really have much in the way of an individual pass rusher, so that was kind of, it was not a surprise, but it was confirmation that, okay, against a team that doesn't really have much in the way of pass rush, we can pretty much stonewall it and give them nothing for the most part they did i mean the only real pressure they got was in situations where jj waited and waited or bugged out of the pocket trying to find or, something yeah, and there just like, wasn't anything I mean, coverage, so, sacks, yeah 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 and then um you know like i was saying in the running game quorum was outstanding the blocking was outstanding the tight ends even without eric all who it sounds like we may be without for the rest of the season open question but the tight ends were impressive we saw in multiple situations ryan hayes zach center trente jones guys who should not be able to move the way that Michigan's linemen do, pulling all the way around the formation to get huge ceiling blocks for some of those quorum counters that he broke outside. It was really impressive in that regard, especially on the rewatch where we were able to kind of appreciate everything that the line was doing or slow it down and get replays. I uh, I can't really say enough about the offensive line performance in this game, and that also gives me optimism that I think we kind of knew the run game was going to be good, but just seeing them – absolutely hammer somebody consistently in a game where that was the way to win. They just kept doing it and kept doing it and Corum never really never really faced a, a lot of, you know, situations where they're just uh was stuff getting blown up on the backfield. It was a really consistent impressive performance.
0: Agreed, Cosine.
1: And talk about the defense?
0: Sure. So, like I said earlier, the problem that we identified with the defense is very much still a problem. The inability to Finish, uh, like a pocket collapse. Essentially, we were seeing that time and time again, where we got so so close to Tagovailoa and couldn't actually bring him down.
1: Um, yeah, we didn't actually have a sack against Tagovailoa. And I will say, rewatching, <laughs> kind of the same way on the offense, I felt like the defense actually got there and had a few more impressive pressures than I had realized live. And he did a really remarkable job a couple times of feeling it or you know, having a guy get his hand on him and being able to like squirm away with, uh, with footwork, basically, or with kind of a, a quick little adjustment in the pocket that I don't think most college quarterbacks can do. So I'm not sure how worried about that to be. I do think it's going to be a lingering issue in the sense that we still don't have guys who are consistently getting around the corner at seven or eight yards and being able to pressure it is, I think, uh, I think there's just a kind of realistic acceptance at this point that we have what we have. You know, we're seeing a little bit more of Braden McGregor, seeing a little bit more of Iabi Oki. Those guys have the potential to be there, but they're not really there yet. So most of what we're getting is kind of squeeze the pocket, don't get out of your lanes, try to force a tough throw more so than you know. We just don't have a Hutchinson or Ojabo who can get there right around the edge and, and bring a guy down by himself. That has to be something that's more. Schemed up and a little bit more of a combination of coverage and pocket pushing from the interior.
0: Yeah. The other thing I'll say is in the run game, I was also a little disappointed by the defense, which is to say, I felt like Maryland was just getting like a few too many yards on every single one of their carries. Like, I didn't think the tackling was particularly good. And I also felt like It was one of those situations where, you know, a year ago when somebody is running the ball on Michigan, it's like, okay, when you stuff them up, you stuff them up and they get two. But now it was like, even when a run feels stuffed up, they get four and not two. And that adds up over the course of a drive. It makes getting that first down all that much easier. So I felt like there was a lot of that where like every single time I looked up and unclear if this goes with my theory about how bad the refs were spotting the (laughs) ball because these things might be related. But I felt like I like every time I looked up, it was like, oh, they ran on first down and I thought they had plugged it up well. And then the guy either escapes or just like gets enough push to fall forward for more than I'm used to them being able to fall forward for. And then it's second and five instead of second and eight. And that's a huge Difference.
1: I think we should point out that Maryland averaged three point eight yards a carry in this game, about four if you adjust for sacks, and they came into this game averaging nine yards a carry. And that I makes think makes me feel better. <laughs> it should. And on top of that, I think we saw a little bit of, you know, how we've talked a couple times over the past few weeks about how JJ's legs and the way that Michigan is kind of more varied in the way they run offense and what that does to opposing pass rushes. Kind of slows everything down, makes you feel out okay is this a you know a read where the quarterback might be keeping is this an rpo where i need to kind of hesitate and potentially you know uh, shade outside toward a bubble screen maryland is a very very creative offense and does a lot of things i mean at one point we saw the uh the fake end around fake option shovel pass to the tight end like right out of the andy reed playbook we saw a couple. Yeah, of... I
0: fucking hated that. <laughs> I mean, I loved it, but I fucking hated it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's wild stuff. The the touchdown where um I can't remember who the receiver was. It might have been Raheem Jarrett who caught the touchdown where uh, they ran crossing routes and somebody ended up coming wide open in the side of the end zone. That one was it, it was crossing routes, but also the guy runs right to the middle of the field at the goal line, sits down like he's going to be there for a checkdown, and then as the Michigan defender is approaching him he then immediately takes off again and starts running, continuing the crossing route that he was on originally. They were just doing some really interesting, creative stuff. And um, I think the Michigan pass rush and the Michigan linebackers being a little bit hesitant was in large part due to what Maryland was doing and the creativity. That's creativity we're probably not going to see again this year until Ohio State. (laughs) So I don't know exactly how much that means you know, in terms of relevance to the rest of the games on the schedule until then but i do think it was a factor here and uh and just led to some of that hesitancy kalal mullings also did not have a very good game i thought on rewatch junior colson was pretty good not great as he was in the early games but i thought he did a decent job of kind of getting into the mix identifying where things were going again against a pretty creative kind of tough to read offense Kalel mullings was a a lot uh rougher badly missed a couple tackles, ran himself out of position on a wide receiver screen and gave up an extra, like, 10, 15 yards into the secondary. That's a spot where we just really miss Hill Green. I'm hoping that he's back soon. Uh, obviously, the Iowa offense, you would hope you don't really need him <laughs> against that offense, but Mullings is still a weak spot there.
0: A- in in fact uh, Ferentz is playing the longest game of rope dope of all time? <laughs> like, what if they come out against us and give me full, like, 2017 versus Ohio State. Like, didn't they score like 55 points in that game? Has Iowa come close to scoring 50 points since then?
1: No way. I, I,
0: Actually, they might have against Maryland when Talia threw five picks <laughs> last year. But you know what I mean. I was like, what are the nah, odds that Brian Ferentz is playing the longest game of rope-it-open like college football history? 0%. 0%?
1: 0%. Brian Ferentz is just that bad
0: noted but on the Chloe Mullings point I was
1: going to say on Maryland's last touchdown drive the one they scored with uh, was about 45 seconds left that was another one where Mullings was like gesturing to Michael Barrett he was way out of position the tight end runs right up the seam before Mullings realizes kind of what's going on and all of a sudden they've got a guy on you know fourth and 12 or whatever it was running uncontested right up the seam at the goal line for a touchdown like that should never happen it was just a lot of little stuff that was frustrating to watch and uh Again, I think will be largely resolved with just Hill Green getting healthy, so I'm not super concerned about that either, but it would be nice to see Hill Green healthy, just as it would be nice to see Donovan Edwards healthy. It's one of those, you know, when he's back, it'll be great, but he's got I to actually come Donovan back at some Donovan Edwards point. will
0: be back this week.
1: It sounded like Hill Green, I think he said Hill Green and Edwards were both questionable and Trevor Keegan was probable. Were the statements from Jim Harbaugh last week, and then none of them played against Maryland, which was interesting. I think
0: Donovan Edwards is pretty damn near healthy. I mean, we saw him like running up and down the sidelines, celebrating that last touchdown with Corum. Like, I think he, I think they're, they just have him like, they know they need him for Iowa, and they're being as cautious with him as possible as a result.
1: Man, I don't know. Anytime a guy's not in uniform, I don't think it's a very safe thing to say he'll be back next week because, I mean you said we needed Blake Quorum to win this game. What if Blake Quorum, like twists his ankle in the first quarter oh and you've God, got C.J. Stokes and Isaiah J- Don't
0: speak that into existence. <laughs> no, I'm saying like
1: if that had happened against Maryland. I just have to think that if Donovan Edwards were that close to being back, that he would have been in uniform for that situation where you know something happens with Quorum and all of a sudden you're down to true freshmen and walk-ons at running back, and that's kind of the crux of your offense. So, again, I'm not saying he won't be back next week, just that I don't feel super confident saying it. A few days after he was in street clothes and not available at all so we'll see
0: i would really like for him to be back because Same. i mean obvious reasons but also the way that he absolutely uncorked that trick play against <laughs> iowa last year makes me feel like see if he can outpass spencer
1: petrus again this year yeah
0: <laughs> yes actually that's what i need for it just for the laughs just for the laughs i want donovan edwards to have more passing yards than spencer <laughs> petrus thank you
1: that would be very funny um, we should also spend a little bit of time on the secondary. i got to say, the secondary they was slapped. very impressive.
0: Yeah, they absolutely slapped. DJ Turner was a binky and mouth guard, <laughs> and I think that's the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen.
1: I think we need to be talking about like DJ Turner, potential first-round pick, because he's playing at a borderline All-American level, and if he runs the uh, sub 4 four forty that Harbaugh claims he might, he could be a first-round pick. I mean, he's... He's big enough. He's got the athleticism, and he is just—he's uh, become a really, really excellent player. And then, Jem and Green too. I mean, they took a few deep shots at, at Green, and you know, just trying to get something down the field. And there was not much there. Uh, every one of their deep shots was just completely contested, blanketed by either Jem and Green or DJ Turner or or Mikey a couple times. Mikey's Sanders still. Oh my God! Like. He's a
0: revelation. <laughs> every week he looks Michael. better than the previous yeah, week. Yeah, he slaps too.
1: But yeah, it was, it was he impressive. He did
0: get pretty badly out of position on that one play. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Where he was like kind of under the receiver. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, there was the one, um, I think it was maybe early fourth quarter when Maryland was driving and Tagovailoa rolls out to the left and ends up hitting a guy up the sideline. And that was one where Mikey was in a deep zone on that third of the field. And there was a receiver coming across in front of him and he stepped up on that guy and in doing so left the guy behind him open. And I think that might have been Maryland's longest passing play of the game, so that was just uh, I, I think a little bit over aggressive on his part, or a little bit of um, you know lack of maybe just you know inexperience to some extent in that role. Even though he does not look very inexperienced most of the time, occasionally stuff like that pops up. But again, you hope that he keeps getting better as he sees more of those things and gets more experience and
0: no he slaps he likes to like get after it too
1: oh god yeah
0: like he's out here like hitting motherfuckers like he's he's i think twice
1: he blew up receiver screens just going right through a block um he had the sack late in the game on uh on on maryland's backup quarterback whose name i've already forgotten because i don't know oh billy edwards that's his name obviously (laughs) but anyway
0: just made that up (laughs) for all i know like, it sounds vaguely familiar. Like, I, I just watched this game last night. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, for all I know, you could have made that the absolute fuck up, and I would
1: have on the wiser. Uh, but, yeah, Mikey's become a really excellent player. May- maybe draftable. Mikey Sarenner still might be draftable. The safeties as well. Don't want to sell them short. R.J. Moton with an incredible pick. For, for all the uh, almost INTs that we've seen from our safeties over the last few years, balls that just hit guys right in the hands and they couldn't come up with, and then at a huge moment in this game with Michigan up a touchdown, he comes flying across, tips the ball up to himself, dives and, and brings it in just off the turf. I mean, that was one of the best plays we've seen, I think, from RJ Moten. And, uh,
0: yeah, that was great. I was happy for him.
1: <laughs> happy for him and, and happy for us at that moment To I mean, that was really the kind of turning point where we went from, for quite a while there had been a one score game with either Maryland or Michigan ahead and that was the point where Michigan went from up a touchdown to up two scores. And uh, Maryland really never um, closed the gap from there. So huge play from, uh, from R.J. Moten. Um, and, and just coming back real quickly to your point on the defense overall, I thought the defensive line was pretty good in the sense that they didn't really get knocked off the ball. I mean, sub four yards a carry from an offense like Maryland's is uh, a reasonably strong performance. Mozzie Smith ended up with eight tackles which is a fuck ton for a nose tackle. <laughs> Chris Jenkins had five tackles. Uh, all in all, I thought the uh, the defensive line was pretty good, just to your point. They don't have the guys right now who are really able to get organic pass rush, so it's a lot of kind of pushing the pocket, trying to create pressure without necessarily getting sacks. But I still feel really good about the run defense, honestly, uh, again with the exception of Kalal Mullings, who I think is, is not – that's a temporary situation basically but we saw a good amount of Mozzie Smith Chris Jenkins those guys blowing up run plays Mason Graham had a really impressive play where he did something similar to what Mozzie did a couple times where he just swam right past the center and blew a play up in the backfield so
0: the one thing is even when they do do that though they periodically don't actually get the guy down which is the hard part like I feel like who was it that like absolutely he had like a swim move? He like blew the guy up, but he like wrapped him up, but not entirely. It, it he, was like, Rayshon Benny. It.
1: it was Rayshon Benny on a third and two situation where it should have been a fourth and four and a punt, and instead the uh, the running back kind of just threw momentum, drags him forward a couple yards to get the first down. Uh, again, a very generous spot. I'm not sure he actually got the first down, but that was a play where with a defensive tackle coming through and, and meeting a running back head on, you don't expect three to four yards after contact. And I think that's just a, a young guy not really making a good fundamental tackle, like getting low and bringing him down. Yeah,
0: he was too, he hit him too high. But
1: but man, between... Do I you mean, like <laughs> what
0: my description, by the way, do you like what my descriptions of these plays are like? I'm like, it was the one where the, <laughs> you know, the guy did the swim and he got past him, but he didn't bring him down. And it was like he, and you know what I I'm know talking, what talking about? about. Like, yeah. what the fuck? I'm like, I'm like giving rough outlines of actual football. And you're like, yeah, I got it. Oh but yeah, Mikey, thank the, you. Mikey, that one play
1: over the guy got that, open on the- <laughs>
0: Yeah, the one play where Mikey was like under the receiver. Like, what am I saying? There's like, not you- going
1: to be a lot to work with here, but...
0: <laughs> I'm blaming the brain... We'll figure it out. I'm blaming the brain fog, okay? Stupid COVID. Yeah. God. I'm not sharp, okay? We're doing it anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I'm giving you like the most ridiculous, just like rough sketches of, of things <laughs> that occurred in this football game. And thank you very much for being able to identify them despite my deficiencies, because I don't know what that is.
1: I got you covered, um, but yeah, I think it, this was sort of confirmation to me of some of the things that we suspected, which is very good run defense, especially in the interior. Not having Nikai Hill Green as a weak spot there, hopefully that is immediately resolved when he is healthy, and, and hopefully that is uh, soon, maybe this week. And the edge rushers are still lacking a guy, and that's going to be a little bit of a a little bit of an issue. With the caveat that. The way the defensive backs are playing, that does make up for a lot of the, the lack of pass rush. I mean, if you just can't go downfield because every guy is in stride, in phase with his man trying to get deep and against probably the best set of receivers we're going to see all year until Ohio State, that's uh, that's a, <laughs> yeah, a significant bit again. it
0: is. No, that definitely helps, and I'm not going to doubt that. But also, I feel like even the best corner or the best secondary like they can cover for like four, five seconds. Oh, sure. But if yeah, you I mean, can't get a guy down after five seconds, six seconds, which sometimes we do not do.
1: Yeah, we did see that even happen Even the secondary
0: times. isn't going to hold up that long, no matter how good it is. And totally so agree. from that perspective, like, yeah, it certainly helps that your secondary can hold up in coverage. You don't need to be able to bring a quarterback down in two and a half seconds or less, Aiden Hutchinson style, if your secondary can hold up, but you still need your guys to be able to get them down in five seconds, yeah. six seconds, whatever amount of time that your secondary has bought you. And I'm still not sure that we're quite seeing that even. And that's, I think the part that's worrisome. Yeah,
1: that, that's still a weak spot. And I think that is why we're seeing, um, I, I believe Braden McGregor has actually started the last two weeks And we've seen, uh, I mean, Harbaugh specifically said after this game that Oki is going to be getting more snaps every game because those are the guys who have that ability to actually get around the edge and and finish those plays. They have not consistently finished them yet. Both guys have had a couple plays the last two weeks where they've had their hands on a quarterback and haven't quite brought him down. But also these guys, I think, are relatively raw in terms of playing time, especially at this level when you're talking about Oki. So I think there are opportunities to have that, but I also suspect that, I mean... It's not even a just suspect. Like, there is no Hutchinson or Ojabo. Those guys are not walking through that door, to use the uh, <laughs> colloquial term. So, we're just going to have to continue to figure out how, um, you know, how to kind of dial things up to confuse quarterbacks, how to uh, continue to push the pocket and have guys not get out of their lanes so that guys who do have some mobility, like Sean Clifford and, and Peyton Thorne, don't have the opportunity to escape and turn those three or four seconds in the pocket into five, six, seven. We're going to talk about Peyton
0: Thorne later. okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we're, we'll
1: come back to that one. Jeez. I think that pretty well covers the defense, though. Uh, like I said, it was not as uh, as concerning as it felt. I mean, Maryland ended up with, let's see, I'm, I'm pulling up the box score here. They ended up with 397 total yards and 75 of that came on the, the desperation drive where we were kind of sitting in pre and, and throwing out Derek Moore and Rayshon Benny in pure pass rush mode. So... With Talia Tagviloa in the game, they had 322 total yards, and Tagavaloa had 207, and they averaged under four yards a carry for a team that came in averaging nine. Like again, this is probably one of the two or three best offenses on the schedule, and to do that, I think you had to feel pretty decent. It would have been a lot more comfortable if um, any one of Maryland's three fourth down conversions hadn't happened, if they hadn't hit two 50-plus yard field goals. Again, some kind of high leverage stuff that. You wouldn't normally expect to all go Maryland's way kind of did and made it uncomfortable but maybe it's me uh having some maze colored glasses here but looking back on it I still uh, on both the defensive side and the offensive side feel pretty okay
0: that's good do you want to talk about special teams a little bit just because I mean there were some big plays on special teams as we know we recovered that opening doink Deeply funny. And then it was also, deeply funny. Also, we had to win the game on, you know, on an onside kick. The hands team had to be out there to kind of seal this. Shout out to uh, freshman tight end Colson Loveland. That's right. With the hands, that yeah, might I mean, be my Michigan moment of the game. A freshman tight end with the hands.
1: That's the Michigan moment sealing
0: this for me. I just feel like that's really appropriate and on brand. I don't know.
1: All right, that, that works for me. Um, but yeah, I mean the special teams were very good. They didn't really have to do anything on that first play other than be there as the ball doinked off the guy's helmet in hilarious fashion. But it was funny. We had the one kind of weird, unusual miss from uh, from Jake Moody, obviously, but he also hit his own fifty-plus yarder right earlier in the game in that uh, exchange of fifty-plus yard field goals with Eastern Michigan transfer Chad Ryland. <laughs> that was a fun little special That's team not sequence a real there.
0: Name.
1: Yeah, Brad Robbins was very good average 47 yards. People named
0: Chad don't exist. I just, I don't believe it.
1: Is this like a birds aren't real scenario? Yeah. Okay.
0: Chad's aren't real. That can't be real.
1: Chad's aren't real.
0: I hope no one named Chad listens to this. Maybe they do. You're the only real Chad if you're listening to this. That's right.
1: Uh, I mean, outside of the one kind of weird Jake Moody miss, it was the usual excellent special teams performance all around. So More confirmation that special teams are very good. Jake Moody, please don't miss any more 42-yarders, and uh, we'll be good.
0: Okay, so now I get to talk about Iowa again.
1: Oh, boy. All right, let's talk about Iowa.
0: Ooh, is that really (laughs) a thing we want to do?
1: Hang on, throwing on my hazmat suit real quick.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that feels right. I've decided that, you know, we got COVID, and that's actually the juju has been used already. There's no juju left. Wait, the Ju- bad
1: juju has been used on us getting COVID? Is that Correct. what you mean? Okay.
0: That's what I mean. I'll go with that. Kinnick has no juju left to give.
1: I like the way you think.
0: It gave it to us instead. No, I mean, we're going to Iowa City. We all know what this is, right? This is a I mean, very said good earlier. defense and an absolutely horrific offense with precisely one tight end and no one to throw the ball to that tight end. That's Iowa. We know this, right? I mean, is that not what Iowa is? Is that not what Iowa has been for, like, literally ever?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a team that has scored, I believe, if I'm counting correctly, six offensive touchdowns this year in four games against all pretty bad competition. I mean, South Dakota State, no offensive touchdowns. Iowa State, one offensive touchdown off a turnover that started a drive inside the Iowa State 20-yard line. Nevada, which is one of the worst teams in the country, they put up 27 points. What an explosion. And then against Rutgers last week, which, to be fair, has an okay defense, pretty bad offense. They had two defensive scores, again, put up 27 points, but only two of those were actually created by the offense. So this is a team that has shown no ability to score a meaningful amount against anybody with any semblance of a pulse. I don't know how they do it against Michigan other than, like we talked about earlier, it has to be the Michigan offense giving them opportunities with basically turnovers or other catastrophic mistakes. If you don't point
0: the pistol directly at your foot, you should probably be okay, (laughs) right?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're just not, they don't have the offense to to keep pace. They do have, like you said, a very good defense, and that's going to be, I think, the step up that we saw from the first three games to Maryland, you're going to get about another similar step up to Iowa. So it's, you know, you're definitely ramping up in that regard. Might be the best defense Michigan plays all year. So it's going to be a big test for JJ. He uh, made a few mistakes in this game, a few bad reads that, that ended drives, a few missed throws that you're probably going to want to hit a couple of those against Iowa because if you end up in a fucking rock fight like all Iowa games are and it's you know 10 to 6 in the third quarter, it's going to be real uncomfortable when you're in a situation where any mistake could put them in control of the game or you know give them a lead where their defense can – you know, can play the way See, their defense wants to play.
0: the 2016 game.
1: Exactly. We've seen that happen before. We've seen it happen too many times in Iowa City. We, we saw the stat the other day that was going around on Twitter that I think it was in the last, uh, what was it, last 15 years, Iowa has played six home games I against... I think
0: since, like, 2008, maybe. It went back to 2008. And they're, okay, like, 5-1. So,
1: so, yeah, 13, 14 years, whatever it was. Yeah, in the last six games against top five teams at home, they are 5-1, and one,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is really remarkable. I mean, again, top five teams we're talking about here, not top 25 or something like that, where you can pick some arbitrary number and say like, yeah, okay, those were okay teams, but not actually that good.
0: Yeah. I think the only team that didn't go down in that situation was the the Saquon Barkley Penn State team. But like that list included Michigan in 16, Ohio State in 17, um, and others, Michigan State at some point or another, yep. maybe in the like 2010s early. And then
1: Penn State years. last year, in that game that was that quote was unquote stupid, between though. top five teams. Yeah,
0: that was a <laughs> fucking lie. Don't lie to me. But Penn also, State, I mean, what wins that game handily if not for the fact that like they insist on making sure Sean Clifford ends up on a peg leg? Oh yeah, Sean Clifford.
1: A, a Sean Clifford led Penn State team wins that game going away. They were in control until he got hurt, and then. They bring in now UConn quarterback Taquan Roberson and he implodes and Iowa does the Iowa thing and all of a sudden they're pulling out a game they had no business winning like they always do. But also Michigan hasn't won in Iowa City since 2005. I mean, this is just like, I think it was Harbaugh who said this is a place where top five teams go to die. And it's it's right. It just has that cabin in the woods weird vibes where like you go in there and you just forget how to do everything that you're good at and all of a sudden... Iowa's winning a stupid game, and you're like, how the fuck did this happen?
0: <laughs> I'm refusing to believe it. I'm not buying it. There's no such... Okay, so no s- such
1: scale point. of 1 to 10, what's your level of concern for this game? Four. Four, okay. I'm going to go a little bit higher, but I'm going to say six, because I've seen this Iowa offense, and...
0: It's fucking bad, dude. It's fucking bad. There's no reason... Absent you, absolutely, like... Dropping a grenade on your own fucking foot. <laughs> I I don't know. I like wh- How are they going to score points? They're not. You could win this game three to nothing. I don't give a fuck. How are they going to score points?
1: There's no way they're putting up more than like ten points on purely like offensively created drives.
0: We scored forty-two points on this Iowa team last year. Forty-two. And
1: yeah, I mean, a lot went and right in that better. game.
0: Better. They were better then.
1: <laughs> well, their defense was probably about the same.
0: Like, but their I offense just, was worse. I mean, their is offense is, is worse now. Yes, yeah. it's yeah. presently worse. Correct. I don't understand how this is supposed to work. I understand that there's no Hutchinson now, and the defense is different. But also Iowa's game plan last year pretty well mitigated Hutchinson. um they they really did a lot of like, to the extent that Iowa was passing, which like, Iowa's nominally passing the football. I don't know that they can actually pass the football. But like to the extent that they were passing in the game last year, it was all fast. It was like dink and dunk, like a ball out in one second. Well, the only real passing game
1: Iowa has is basically bootlegs to Sam Laporta, who's a very good tight end. But if you can take him away, which Michigan started doing by just bringing a guy off the weak side in the second half of that game and saying, if you want to run bootleg, Petrus is going to turn around to somebody hitting him in the fucking face. So good luck getting a good throw off. And as soon as they did that, Iowa died. That was just the end. <laughs> they had nothing from there on out. And again, this Iowa offense looks worse. So if you can figure out how to largely take away Sam Laporta, again, it would be nice to have Hill Green for this game because I think Mullings is just still a weak spot there at linebacker. And that's an area where I don't expect Iowa to do a lot, but tight ends against linebackers, you want to make sure you have your uh, your guys in position. Um yeah, I just, I, I don't know what they're going to do offensively. I, I do think Michigan's probably going to get clogged up and face some real tightness in terms of ability to run the ball, um, in terms of windows to throw into, just more so than we've seen this year. So. And we
0: saw that in the first half of last year's Big Ten Championship game with Cade. Like, yeah. he definitely looked tight to open that game, but once that game got to 14 nothing, it was over.
1: Well, right. And keep in mind that the two plays that got us, uh, the 14 points, were both huge, like, open field plays, right? Blake Coram cutting outside and then busting up the sideline with J.J. McCarthy LeBron. outrunning him down the yeah. sideline. And then the Donovan Edwards trick play. But It's tough to just kind of chunk, chunk, chunk against Iowa. They make it really hard. So going back to what we were talking about earlier with J.J. missing a few of those deep shots, that's kind of what I was getting at when I said I think, or at least I'm hopeful that having that and missing a few of those and kind of calibrating himself, you know, calibrate the cannon. Like, if he does that and he hits a couple of those in this game, that should be enough on its own, right? Even if the rest of the offense kind of bogs down.
0: Yeah, I agree. I just—the thing about it is this is a game that, like, if you just took the—like, gave me one of those blind tests where they, like, take the name, it's like Team A, Mm -hmm. Team B— and you didn't tell me this was Michigan, Iowa, and Kinnick, my concern <laughs> level would be literally zero. Well, yeah, because I'd probably think it was
1: Rutgers the four for a shitty Indiana is team.
0: literally <laughs> all a result of the fact that, as, you know, as Harbaugh and others have said, that Kinnick is where top five teams go to die. That, that's what the four is for, <laughs> right? Because it's just like, I, I don't... It,
1: Maybe we've exercised that. I mean, we kept saying that with Ohio State. We also keep saying it with Michigan State, and unfortunately that has continued to be true, that like... Nothing else actually matters. You can't look at it as Michigan State in a vacuum as just you know blind Team A, because Michigan State is always the best possible version of Michigan no, they're State the against Michigan. When they show right. up
0: to play Michigan, it's fucking stupid. So I don't
1: think we've completely exercised those demons, but I'm hopeful that with what this Iowa team is. man yeah it's it will take a lot to have gone wrong offensively I think or defensively I guess and or (laughs) you know both for Michigan to lose this game and uh to be fair I've said that before and Michigan has lost those games to Iowa teams that were not very good but you know it's also kind of hard to look at it logically and say that's what I think is going to happen when Michigan has an offense and Iowa doesn't (laughs) fair point I'm sure it will be a grind, though. I mean, just looking back at last year's box score, um, Blake Corum had the the 67-yard touchdown run that we were talking about just a minute ago. And across 21 other carries between Haskins and Corum, they had a combined 63 yards. So three yards a pop. It's not a lot. And uh, again, with this Iowa defense, I'm sure they're going to make it kind of a congested mess in the interior where it's going to be tough to, you know, really lean on the run game the way you want to. So... You know, looking at the uh, a couple of the advanced stat sites, one is uh, CFB Graphs, which does like advanced box scores. They predicted a score for this game of seventeen to three, which would be disgusting. But <laughs> I'll take a fourteen point win by uh, by any metric. And then um, SP Plus has Michigan twenty eight to eighteen, so that's that's more in line with the Vegas spread, which I think as of this morning was nine and a half Michigan by nine and a half. But if you kind of split the difference between those, you come up with something in the range of, what, like Michigan 24 to 10, which feels generally right, I think.
0: Yeah, that feels right to me.
1: Again, if it's a two-touchdown win in Kinnick with all the nonsensical bullshit that's happened there, especially to Michigan over the years, I will uh, take that going away. So we'll see what happens. You want to talk about Michigan State?
0: Yeah, I'm here to talk (laughs) shit now. It's I've been Shining seeing Freud you just... corner with Serena.
1: <laughs> just, uh, that you know. team
0: is fucking bad, dog. They're going to beat us still because that's how this works. But Correct. like, as we said, the Monstars version of them shows up.
1: Yeah, nothing else Michigan State does actually matter. It so doesn't, it doesn't matter how bad they are or how shitty they Man. look against everybody else.
0: Like Minnesota looks good. They look very good. I, I don't want to undersell how good they looked in that game. But fuck. Michigan State got their ass beat. And it's genuinely very concerning to get your ass beat in two consecutive weeks.
1: Is that concerning? I was going to go more with like hilarious. I
0: mean, <laughs> I'm not the one that's paying ninety five million dollars for this, so I guess it's funny <laughs> <Touché>. to me.
1: <laughs> no, it was very funny. But and it, if and that that's game your was
0: pocketbook. I, that
1: that I game would was just over immediately. I mean, at one point, I think it was late in the first quarter. It was seventeen nothing Minnesota, and yards were Minnesota two hundred and twenty seven, Michigan State one singular one so this was not a game where uh, you know it it was tough for a while and Michigan State had a couple bad turnovers and it was like well the score wasn't really indicative of how the game went this was an ass kicking up and down the field and an ass kicking in every possible way I mean I think the takeaway from the Michigan State Washington game was the state secondary is still really rough because Michael Penix just did whatever he wanted and that receiving core which is fine but not you know filled with Ohio State-level guys were utterly dominating those one-on-one matchups in a way that you wouldn't expect against any competent secondary. So I guess the takeaway is the Michigan State secondary was not competent. But in this game, it was – I mean, Minnesota really wants to pound the ball inside. That's their offense is we're going to run it up the middle, and we're going to basically play off of that with RPOs. That's our passing game. And their defense also just completely dominated Michigan State. I mean, they had nothing – For three and a half quarters until they got their, uh, what are we calling this last second touchdown? Defeated
0: with dignity? Obliterated
1: with honor was what I was uh, going with on Twitter.
0: I like it. I don't know if we come up with
1: anything better yet, but obliterated obliterated with honor.
0: (laughs) The state news gave us defeated with dignity six years ago, and that's always stuck with me, but (laughs) obliterated with honor works. I like it.
1: Yeah, it, it was comprehensive. And yeah, and Minnesota's probably pretty good. Has to be the favorite in the West right now. With as good as they look all around between Mo Ibrahim coming back fully healthy looking fantastic uh Kirk Ciroc has come back as offensive coordinator and with that Tanner Morgan seems to have kind of found the rhythm that he had in 2019 when he looked like a good quarterback before he kind of you know collapsed uh when Cirocca left for Penn State the defense is very good uh, again I, I think Minnesota's a very good team but yeah to get completely destroyed by Minnesota that way, after getting completely destroyed by Washington a week earlier, in a really much different way. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's...
0: <laughs> I mean, the thing about it is, so Michigan State plays Maryland this week. The thing about it is, it's if you look at that schedule, if they don't win that game, if they don't beat Maryland this week, it's kind of hard to see their path to bowl eligibility.
1: Well, yeah, they play at Maryland this week. Then they have Ohio State at home, Wisconsin at home, who, Which to be fair, Wisconsin. feels like
0: the most winnable of that them. might be the most winnable. Wisconsin can't throw the fucking ball on you.
1: Then at Michigan, and then they finish the season at Penn State. In between, they've got Illinois, Rutgers, and Indiana. But you're going to have to beat two teams that you shouldn't, right? I mean, right now you're sitting at two wins, two and two. And the next four games, you're probably going to be underdogs in all of them. And you're going to be underdogs at Penn State to end the year, unless something disastrous happens at Penn State.
0: As an underdog to Maryland too. Maryland's a seven and a half point favorite. Yeah, no, that's what I mean.
1: Maryland, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan—you're probably underdogs in all those games. And if you lose all of them, Penn State—like you have to win out to get to bowl eligibility—and that includes at Penn State in the finale, which that's certainly not a game they're going to be favored in, unless something really weird happens between now and then. So, yeah, Michigan State's got their work cut out for them to uh, to be bowl eligible, which is very funny. In a season after they uh, you know, got outgained on the year, went 4-0 and in one score games, and then gave their coach a $95 million contract extension.
0: What <laughs> could possibly go wrong?
1: What could possibly go wrong? I think that was uh, Brian Mack's tweet, so I'll give a little hat tip there.
0: He's a good follow. If you want to follow him, <laughs> please do it.
1: Yeah, Michigan State looks... Uh, very, very rough. Uh, again, they're they're down a couple guys, but Jaden Reed came back in this game. Um, I'm not sure if Jacob Slade played. I don't remember seeing him. Jayden they are still Ray without. Da-
0: jack shit despite his return.
1: Right. Uh, they I...
0: had nothing. It didn't matter.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I'd have thought that with Reed back, the offense would have been a lot more explosive, just given the type of player he is and the connection that he's always had with Peyton Thorne. That certainly didn't pan out against Minnesota, and with as bad as the defense looks right now, they just, I don't know what they've got or how they're going to get to, uh, you know, the kind of performance that they're going to need to beat some of the teams they've got ahead. So, again, very funny.
0: So maybe in slightly less fun news, we can talk about what went on in Columbus, Ohio.
1: Oof. Yeah, that was a game we watched for about, uh, I don't know, six minutes maybe. before yeah, that it was, was <laughs> it
0: wasn't, compa- what was that, 21 to nothing at the end of the first quarter? It was like.
1: Well, yeah, and like, it might have actually been like six minutes in where Ohio State goes down and scores, and then Graham Mertz throws a terrible interception, Ohio State runs it back to like the Ohio State, or the, uh, you know, like the Wisconsin 18-yard line or something, and immediately punches it in, and it's like, well, that was fun while it lasted. Wisconsin just is no, still Wisconsin. No, literally
0: with four <laughs> minutes left in the first quarter, that game was already 21 to nothing. Jesus. Like, that was not competitive at all. We flipped the channel right away. We were like, all right, well, that was fun for... Actually, it wasn't fun at all at any <laughs> no, point. it wasn't fun at all. There was no part of it that was fun, actually. Um, but
1: yeah, the Wisconsin defense is usually able to hold up a little bit better than that. This was maybe the first time really under Jim Leonard that they've been pretty thoroughly dominated, but also... It's the Wisconsin offense where Graham Mertz is going to have a couple bad turnovers, or you know they're they're going to just fuck around and not really put up points against the defense they should be able to move the ball against. They 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 just they've not really been able to do anything consistently on offense over the course of a season in at least a few years now, and that's I think becoming a little bit of a concern for Wisconsin fans. I don't know that people are super thrilled with with what Paul Christ has been doing there after so long of having at least a very consistent run game. You know, the quarterback play was always kind of iffy outside of the one fun Russell Wilson year. But now it's like uh, even that's kind of shaky, and the quarterback play is maybe even worse than it used to be. Like at some point you've got to put an offense on the field or even a, a very good defense is uh, is not going to be able to hold up.
0: No, you don't. Kirk Ferentz said bet. <laughs> You don't have to put an offense on the field. Get out of here. If
1: there's any model I want to follow right now in 2022, it is Iowa football. That's
0: for sure. No, I mean, I think that's right. At some point, you have to no longer be okay as fans with your top five defenses being repeatedly squandered because you can't field an offense. That's true in both Madison and Iowa City. Especially in that division. Like, that division
1: is—it's always there for the taking, (laughs)
0: <laughs> right there is no big bad at the end of everybody's schedule right. like the buzz saw we have in fucking columbus if wisconsin
1: like, just had like an average power five offense every year they'd probably win that division like four out of every five years yeah. and instead it's uh maybe every other year and even when they do it's a clunky offense that they get to the big 10 championship game and you know it's it's over before it starts because Ohio State's going to hang 40 points on them and they have no chance of keeping up with that against anybody.
0: For sure. At just at some point. And, I mean, shit, like there were points in, in, you know, Michigan, my tenure as a Michigan fan that have felt that way. I mean, yeah. like.
1: The Hoke years to some extent. The early Hoke years at least. The
0: early Hoke <laughs> years have felt that way. I mean, and parts of the Harbaugh tenure felt that way. I mean, like. Yeah. The 2016 offense was really interesting because, you know. You, okay, fine. You score seventy eight against Rutgers or whatever, but like there were points where that like that offense did not look that smooth. The rest of the season, it didn't look that smooth in Columbus. It didn't look that twenty
1: sixteen and seventeen. Both, I think twenty seventeen. We ended the year with the number one SP plus offense, and we're eight and five because the number one SP plus defense. And
0: we offense. ended up eight
1: and five because the quarterback play was just a fucking disaster all year. And right. At some, yeah. Fortunately for us, we have mostly resolved that you know over the last few years the offense has kind of been taking steps forward where certainly last year was good enough to win the big 10 and this year it appears that it's taken another step forward so we're kind of seeing the modernization and, and culmination of attempts to do that from jim harbaugh whereas wisconsin if anything seems like they're headed in the other direction
0: i mean in fairness to paul christ i do think he's trying right i mean he went out and he kind of like I mean, he literally did exactly what Jim Harbaugh did. He was like, I'm going to go find me a Ravens coordinator to, like, di- like I think he's trying. I just don't think he's succeeding. Well, I
1: thought we were going to see more of, like, that modernization. That I mean, what's the point of bringing that guy in if you're not bringing him in to do some structural things that, you know, get you closer to that? And, man, uh, I, again, I only watched six minutes of that game, so maybe there's uh, more there that I'm not seeing. But they put up 14 points against Washington State and gotten – blown off the field by Ohio State, and their offense doesn't really look to me like anything different from what it's been the last couple of years. So, I don't know. Maybe they've just got some uh, some things to figure out, but I am very skeptical that Wisconsin is ever going to uh, to figure that out again under Paul Criss. And speaking of really bad offenses, Jesus Christ, Northwestern.
0: <laughs> are you really talking about Northwestern football on purpose? Yeah. it's On this podcast? I
1: just have to marvel for a second at how bad they are. And also, how funny it is that they, uh, you know,
0: is Pat Fitzgerald in the firing zone? Like, is he unfireable? Yeah,
1: yeah. Pat Fitzgerald isn't getting fired anytime soon. But, but why? God, it is it is really, really ugly. There. <laughs> I mean, they beat Nebraska, and that might be their only win of the year. They lost to Miami, Ohio, seventeen fourteen. And says uh, a lot
0: about Nebraska.
1: It's not going to get any easier going to the Big Ten. Although there are again some pretty rough offenses in that division, so maybe they fluke out a thirteen to ten type of. Garbage game somewhere along the way. I
0: didn't even really know that Northwestern played this weekend. Like, I guess I theoretically did because it's a little early for a buy, but honestly,
1: I am jealous of your (laughs) lack of awareness of Northwestern. The
0: way I had virtually no idea Northwestern played a football game (laughs) over the weekend, like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about at all.
1: You're living right over there.
0: I wanted to talk about Adrian Martinez,
1: (laughs) Adrian Martinez, Oklahoma killer.
0: Oklahoma killer. I just like, I. I laughed so hard at that when I saw it because it could not have been scripted better. Like it is so deeply funny to be like the longtime quarterback at Nebraska, to just absolutely struggle there with a program that like can't get its shit together immediately transfer out and then lead your team to a huge win over Nebraska's biggest historical rival. Deeply funny.
1: I can't imagine I like a sequence Story of events book. that would be more perfect. devastating to Nebraska fans. Had to be yeah, like the day Biden it's got funny. elected president. That, what? I said it had to be like the day Biden got elected president. Oh, dear God.
0: <laughs> I thought that's what you said. Oh, no. But no, I like, I just thought it was really funny. I was like, perfect. No, notes amazing love that for you uh, yes
1: it was extremely funny i also but he w-
0: played a great game he
1: did play a great game and they
0: beat oklahoma and I that's mean, awesome
1: he always had that in him it was just that nebraska always found a way to implode in some spectacular fashion so they were never able to get an actual big win he just had to leave nebraska to do it
0: also i want to talk about my second favorite team in fbs which is kansas
1: that's your new second favorite?
0: <laughs> Rock Chalk, Jayhawk, bitch. I love it. I love so much.
1: They have an actually really good, good offense. Yeah. It's wild. I, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure what to make of that. I'm old enough to remember Kansas being good once when they went to the Orange Bowl in, in 2009. 2007, I think. I thought. Was it 2007? I thought it was
0: 2007 was like the chaos year in which Kansas was good.
1: Uh, Okay, it was the 2008 Orange Bowl after the the 2007 season. season.
0: See, I know all. I was I was a year late. I know all the things.
1: It was a good call, but yeah, they were good once about 15 years ago, and it appears that they are actually good again. I don't know if they're Orange Bowl good, but it's a fun offense, and they are four and zero, and they've got uh, a couple winnable games coming up. I was saying this last week that. They could be 6-0 and going into Oklahoma week. That could be another uh, another game day opportunity. It's not in Lawrence, which is sad, because Lawrence should get I wanted them
0: to go to game day, to have game day in Lawrence so bad. But also Nebraska, stay away from Lance Leopold.
1: Yeah, fuck off. Let <laughs> <shut laughs> like the- Kansas have their fun for yeah. like five minutes. <laughs> stop
0: it. Fuck you. Get away from him. Like, don't you dare.
1: I wanted to talk about Wake Forest. Poor Wake Forest. They have... So- they just can't clear the Clemson hurdle. Like Clemson is so much more talented than them. It's not like, you know, it's not like a Michigan Ohio State thing where they've like been there and they've had so many opportunities to win. Like Clemson is usually just that much better than them. But this year, like, they had the and they had that game in their grasp. I think the uh, post game win expectancy for Wake Forest was uh, like seventy three percent or something like that. Like they outplayed Clemson. They deserve to win. And they just come up, like, one fucking play short in double overtime. They just can't can't get past Clemson. And that's unfortunate because, again, Wake Forest has been, like, pretty good for a long time and has never quite been able to get over the the hump, really, uh, of achieving what they
0: almost could. And we're Dave Klaassen fans in this And house. Clemson's
1: not that good. So, like, this is a couple of years in a row where it's like, oh, this Clemson team is, like, kind of beatable. This is a, a real opportunity for somebody to knock them off. And, of course, they, you know escape with a a shitty win that that they didn't deserve so hopefully somebody will beat them I I do think they will Clemson I really don't think is good enough to to run the table even in a kind of mediocre ACC but I just felt bad for Wake Forest after that and it was kind of funny that you know we came away from the Michigan Maryland game talking about like that was kind of uncomfortable like are we actually a top five team but then the team right behind us you know gets outplayed by Wake Forest and has to pull it out in double overtime and the team right behind them Loses to Kansas State, which just lost to Tulane the week before. Like Michigan's still a pretty good team when you look at <laughs> just what happens with other teams, um, you know, especially behind them. Like college football is just always weird. And if you win a game against a decent team like Maryland, and Maryland definitely is decent this year at the very least, you uh, just sing the victors, I guess, and, and move on and be happy with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was giving very much like NCAA tournament, like this was survive in advance to me. And so, you know, we live to see another day.
1: I mean, it kind of felt to me like the Nebraska game last year, where it was like, you knew that Nebraska team was tough, and their record was not going to be particularly good, because they always managed to find ways to explode in, in all ways, including on themselves. But also, you came out of that game like, all right, you know, that was tough and tense, and we probably should have beaten them a little bit more handily, but also, you know what? It was a a win that we earned against a pretty solid team, and that's good enough.
0: Yeah, I agree, and let's hope we can continue it on through next week. So if you're still here, thank you for listening, and we'll see you after Iowa.
1: Go Blue.